Hello, I'm Michael Basako, and you're listening to the Treasury Insights podcast series. In today's podcast, we are talking about the impact to Treasury created by the acceleration of data-driven liquidity management. In our last on-time Treasury podcast, we touched on the role of liquidity structures supporting Treasury automation and the reduction of uncertainty in any cash positioning and or cash forecasting process. Traditionally, cash pooling has been a stablemate of most well-run Treasuries. But given the transition to a data-rich environment, is it time to reimagine cash pooling? With my guest today, I want to explore what opportunities lie ahead for liquidity structures, including cash pooling, in 2023. I'm delighted to be joined by Mark Wagner, Assistant Treasurer at Coke Industries, and Henrik Lang, Head of Global Liquidity at Bank of America. Welcome, Mark and Henrik. Yes, Michael, it's good to be here. Thanks for having me. Hello, Michael. Thank you for having us. Thanks, gentlemen. The pace of change in Treasuries remains high. It's been high. It's an evolving role. So what are some of the drivers for liquidity structures now? Henrik, I'll start with you. Yeah, thank you, Michael. So I'd like to categorize the different drivers into three main categories. Number one is the macro environment. It's something that we cannot ignore. And everybody's familiar with the very fast pace of interest rate changes, many countries and central banks fighting against inflation, FX volatility. So Treasurer's decisions are heavily influenced by what's going on around us from a macro perspective. And it's probably more volatile than ever before. The other big category is more on the micro level, like what's happening with our clients at the moment. There's a lot that has changed since the pandemic or coming out of the pandemic, and we definitely be seeing an interest in enhancing or building out new liquidity structures as treasurers adjust to the different interest rate environment and look for further efficiencies. I would say that's the second category, more at the component level. The third category, which is going to be an interesting topic of discussion for us, is all the technology and artificial intelligence predictive analytics, a lot of these new technologies that are becoming more available and have more practical use cases treasurers can use, helping us to reimagine liquidity structures, physical as well as notional pooling, cash forecasting, and everything that goes with it. I would say these are the three main categories. They appear to be the key drivers of how treasurers are thinking about liquidity structures at the moment. Thanks, Henrik. Mark? As our client perspective, what are you doing different or planning for this year from a liquidity standpoint? Maybe to dig in a little deeper on what Henrik said, the macro environment is certainly a concern. I mean, it's something we're thinking a lot about. If you think about the last few years, we've had a pandemic. There's been a lot of geopolitical disruption, obviously, and potential for more. There's even things like cyber threats out there. And so we try to think about those things when we're thinking about liquidity because All those things can impact your liquidity and how you manage it on a day-to-day basis. So we think about that and being prepared for those types of situations that can come up suddenly. Another thing is being sure we know where our cash is and we're able to manage it effectively on a day-to-day basis. We've put a lot of effort into being prepared to do that. And certainly some of the technology offerings from the banks have helped us with that. 
So I think those are two key things. Also within Coke, our company in general, the pace of change is also pretty high. We have 10 diverse businesses. A lot of them tend to be pretty acquisitive. So it seems like we're constantly adding new entities and bank accounts and relationships and things like that. We also have to keep up with that pace of change internally pretty well. And we're certainly thinking about how technology can help us do that. Another thing we're looking at for 2023 as we think about our priorities is just doing a better job working within our finance capabilities at Coke and being more coordinated and collaborative on how we manage some of these risks and how we manage our liquidity. So trying to do a better job of working with our controllers organization, our tax organization, the risk organization, and having a more unified approach there. I think that's a key point as liquidity structures are reimagined, if I can use that word again, the need for a cross-functional representation to ensure the integrity of that new approach to managing cash is consistent with tax, controllership, treasury, legal, working together as a single unit, single body. Let me jump down one step deeper. Visibility, it's a key word in treasury, visibility of cash and balances has always been a priority. Where's my cash? How much do I have? As we take that step change into a more data-enriched visibility, what changes do you anticipate impacting the traditional pooling arrangements that we've employed for years? Mark, I'll start with you. Great question. I'll start by saying we've invested a lot in our treasury data capability. We've built an in-house data lake. On top of that, we have put some data visualization tools that we're still building out. And that's been a really big help in this area. It's helped us first just understand where our cash is, if not a real-time basis, at least a daily basis. We've gotten to the point where we're 90% roughly connected to all of our banks. That's helped us just understand our cash better on a day-to-day basis. And then along with that, we are starting to leverage APIs, which help us by providing real-time information. APIs help us better manage our liquidity, especially in countries outside of the United States where some of our liquidity structures are not quite as efficient. And so having that real-time data throughout the day helps us do a better job and be more efficient about managing liquidity each day. Another thing we're trying to do is just using APIs. I think we'll start to use those to better track transactions and have on an individual transaction or payment level, be able to have a little better visibility there. And then even beyond liquidity, I think APIs are attractive if we can start to use those to monitor and manage bank signers, authorized signers, payments like I talked about, things like that. On the point that Henrik mentioned earlier about predictive analytics and data or artificial intelligence, That's something we haven't done a lot with yet. We see kind of higher value at the moment, at least with some of the other things we're working on. But I think that's something we'll be interested in in the future to see how that evolves. Thanks, Mark. Henrik, from a bank's perspective, specifically within liquidity, how are you looking to wrap data into that traditional offering of visibility of cash? I think there's a lot more emphasis on visibility of cash positions during the day. That's a key theme that's coming back from our clients. They would like to know, for example, how the initial reporting positions change throughout the day, not just look at end-of-day positions. And there's a very good reason for that. If you think about interest rates compared to where they were a year ago, the cost of not noticing an intraday overdraft in time and funded during the day, so it becomes an end-of-day overdraft, is really high. Likewise, if you have free cash in one of your subsidiaries getting freed up during the day, not investing that cash in a high-yielding instrument 
can also be very costly. And sometimes you're talking about dependence on the currency, you know, 400, 500 basis points, a difference compared to where we were a year ago. So I think one of the reasons why there's a lot of focus on data and visibility right now, because you can gain a lot of economic value as a treasurer by being on top of your positions and maximizing, for example, return on your cash balances. But at the same time, you can also make significant cost saves by avoiding unexpected overdrafts or short positions in subsidiaries. You can only really do that if you have an efficient liquidity structure and pretty much on-time visibility of your liquidity positions across the globe. Well, the, the business case for data-enriched liquidity structure, I haven't thought of it that way, but that's certainly something we can be describing to clients as an opportunity. Okay, we've gone from what lies ahead to cash visibility. Let's take it a step deeper and think of the foundation of cash management as a bank account. While the introduction of something new, such as virtual accounts, has us rethinking whether it's time to reassess that very foundation. What are some of the misconceptions about virtual accounts, and where are the opportunities to add real value? Henrik, can I throw that to you first? Sure. Virtual accounts have been around for several years now. I think clients thinking around it has evolved, and a lot of the myths that was around in the first few years got cleared up by this time. And there are certain things that virtual accounts can do really well. And I think clients recognize by now that there are certain things that virtual accounts will not be able to solve for. So let me start with certain things that work really well in a virtual account construct. If you have a need to segregate receivable flows, it's an excellent tool. If you have a need to open new accounts or new virtual accounts to segregate cash positions under the same legal entity, it works really well. It saves a lot of efforts and work on the client side to go through the traditional account opening process as long as they only need to open new virtual accounts under the same legal entity. I think when you run into challenges if you assume that virtual accounts will work seamlessly across legal entities, because as soon as you go across legal entities, some of the regulatory legal requirements are such that you need to account for intercompany loans, you need to account for different KYC AML checks that you need to do when you're opening virtual accounts under a different legal entity. And I think clients over the last couple of years have realized that and coming to the table with a lot more realistic expectation as to what sort of challenges virtual accounts can solve. Thanks, Henrik. Mark, from a corporate perspective, have you evaluated virtual accounts? And if so, what have you uncovered in your exploration? Yes, we have evaluated virtual accounts and we do use them to a limited extent across Coke. We implemented our first structure, I think it was back in 2019, so we've got several years of experience now. I would definitely echo everything Henrik said. They do work well, especially within a single legal entity if you're wanting to separate flows between profit centers or something like that. It can be a pretty effective tool for doing that. But our experience with using them across legal entities, we have had the same concerns as Henry pointed out. It causes some concerns with AML, some challenges there. 
also with just the accounting becomes more difficult, things like that. We've definitely learned a lot. We've probably learned some things not to do, but they do have their uses. Before you move forward with those, as long as you really understand what problem you're trying to solve and whether virtual accounts are the best solution, I think that's very important to do up front. I think that last point is critical. Like virtual accounts are looking for that problem to solve. They're not, in essence, a product that can solve all problems. So that business case, that use case analysis is key to ensure that the integrity of that deployment of those accounts alongside the physical account is going to have the right impact from a liquidity standpoint. So with visibility and cash optimization in mind, what do treasurers need to be thinking about as they build on-time treasury capabilities? Mark, I'll start with you and Henrik, you can follow. I'll just start with saying we work at Coke to really try to continue to understand what best practices look like from a technology standpoint and understand how those might apply to our business. We have a team of folks they're really dedicated to treasury technology, both within our treasury organization and then in our wider kind of application support capability. And they're all super knowledgeable and they're very forward thinking about technology. We try to really be understanding where things are heading. We're not necessarily always going to be on the leading edge of actually implementing things, but we want to understand where the market is heading. We really try to be strategic about the technologies we leverage. So we're always thinking about a given technology or data product or just using available data. How does that strategically fit into our environment? We have a fairly complex environment. We have a lot of ERPs that we deal with, a lot of other finance software solutions that integrate into our environment. And so we really have to be strategic in thinking about anything we add, how that's going to fit in in general. And most importantly, is it going to add value? We're not going to implement technology, hopefully, that's not going to add value to the bottom line. So that's how we think about it at a high level. We also encourage experimentation. There are some relatively cheap, easy experiments you can do with APIs to see how they might fit your environment. Without spending a lot of time and effort, you can do some isolated experiments and see how that works. So doing those kind of things, I think, also help us be ready to leverage technology when we can. Maybe just to go back, some things we have done have been important are we've got the entire organization on one instance of a TMS. So that helps provide a central hub for all of our treasury data and activity that we can then plug into the various other applications like the ERPs around the organization. So getting to that point was a huge benefit for us. And then once we had that in place, it opened us up to the potential of real time or at least daily cash visibility and all the benefits that that brings. And back to what Henrik said earlier, being able to really have a real time look at your cash, especially in some of the jurisdictions outside the US is really helpful when it comes to making sure your free cash is invested as profitably as possible, or you're not paying interest on negative cash and things like that. Those are a few thoughts I had. Thanks, Mark. Heard the theme of treasury as a discipline alongside that methodical approach of assurance that changes or additions to that technology stack supported business case are adding value. I think a lot of organizations, unlike yourselves, they try to get ahead of it and ultimately realize that they're too far ahead and they have to reconfigure. Henrik, how about from a global liquidity perspective within the bank, when we think about what treasurers should be considering as they build out on-time capabilities? I really like Mark's and Kirk's pragmatic approach to thinking about liquidity and global liquidity structures and not to rush ahead 
implementing technologies that have, for example, minimal or only marginal value add. I think focusing on visibility is certainly a good thing that will bear fruit over time. So I think that makes a lot of sense. And I see that consistently as a theme from other treasurers. We're also hearing, Mark mentioned real-time treasury. We like to talk about more like on-time treasury. I'm seeing that as a theme come up a lot. And one of the reasons why we really started to focus on on-time treasury, because real-time sounds great. And there are many aspects of treasury management in which you can achieve real-time. For example, it's much easier nowadays to have real-time visibility of your cash balances. But many different parts of what a treasurer do are still very far from being real-time. For example, if you're taking your money and you're trying to invest in money market funds, they're not really open real-time. They probably have a cut-off time at some point towards the end of the day. And also, they are not open on Saturday or Sunday. I think it's more important that you have visibility of cash positions on time before the cutoff time of a particular money fund, for example, so you are able to make that investment before they close for the day. Similar to the FX markets, FX markets are not open real time. There are certain settlement cycles dependent on the currency pairs. So again, treasurers need to make sure that they have the liquidity on time so they are able to adhere to those specific settlement cycles. And I could go on, like many parts of treasury still far from being real time. I think aiming for real time if possible is fantastic. It is a great idea. But I think recognizing the constraints, I think, is also important and making sure that on-time treasury works in that regard is equally important. Thanks, Henrik. Treasuries certainly are accelerating process and workflow in an effort to gain real time. But ultimately, on-time is where it lands, right? satisfying a need when it's needed. Liquidity structures and cash optimization have a direct impact on P&L, so it's always a subject with a lot of attention, but unfortunately, that's all the time we have for this podcast. Data is a theme that has come up in every one of our podcasts in this series so far. Putting some of the hype aside, data is at the core of so much change and opportunity in Treasury. But the question is always, what problem are you solving and are you ready to solve it? That's the subject of our next podcast in our on-time treasury series. For now, I want to thank our experts, Mark Wagner and Henrik Lang, for their insights today. Thank you, Michael. I appreciate it. Thank you, Michael. It was a pleasure to be here. I'm Michael Basako, and my co-hosts have been Mark Wagner and Henrik Lang. Thank you for listening to the Treasury Insights podcast series. Bank of America and B of A Securities are the marketing names used by the global banking and global markets divisions of Bank of America Corporation. Lending, other commercial banking activities, and trading in certain financial instruments are performed globally by banking affiliates of Bank of America Corporation, including Bank of America NA, member FDIC. Trading in securities and financial instruments and strategic advisory and other investment banking activities are performed globally by investment banking affiliates of Bank of America Corporation, investment banking affiliates, including in the United States, B of A Securities Incorporated and Merrill Lynch Professional Clearing Corp., both of which are registered broker-dealers and members of SIPC and in other jurisdictions by locally registered entities. B of A Securities Incorporated and Merrill Lynch Professional Clearing Corp. are registered as futures commission merchants with the CFTC and are members of the NFA. 
Investment products offered by investment banking affiliates are not FDIC insured, may lose value, and are not bank guaranteed.